Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. feel there's more to life than iPhones, iPads, and mindless consumerism. If you feel that science and spirituality should be buddies and not enemies trying to disprove each other. If you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways. If you go with your gut feeling. If organized religion, organized political movements, and any form of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you. If you feel social conformity disempowers the individual. If you engage in critical thinking. If you think for yourself. If you have peace and love in your heart and compassion in your arms, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together through human consciousness as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we are very proud and very excited to be doing a forensic soul analysis of one of the most accomplished, beloved, and respected TV journalists in American history, Miss Jane Velez Mitchell. For over six years, Miss Mitchell's national primetime TV program captivated millions of people worldwide. Miss Mitchell is also a best selling author and a passionate animal rights advocate. We bring Ms. Mitchell to your attention tonight because we feel she is a positive and powerful advocate of humanity. She's been absolutely fearless when it comes to uncovering the truth. Ms. Mitchell has also exemplified several acts of personal courage, between publicly re- revealing her battles with alcoholism to being a passionate public supporter of same-sex rights and even coming out herself live on the radio. When it comes to fighting for the rights of animals, Ms. Mitchell is a warrior. She spends a considerable amount, of, considerable amount of time helping and speaking on behalf of various charities that fight against all form of cruelty to animals. Lastly, we bring Ms. Mitchell to your attention tonight because we've observed firsthand the incredible heart she possesses. We personally love and adore her, and she's one of the sweetest people we've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And now, let us begin our interview. Our guest today is a legendary broadcaster, Ms. Jane Velez Mitchell the former host of her own national TV program, a best-selling author, and one of the most passionate animal rights advocates you'll ever see. Without further ado, please welcome to the program Miss Jane Velez Mitchell. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so great to be here. I love you, Ryan. Love you, too. Love you, too. So you've written a lot of books throughout the course of your career, actually three books, and you've talked a lot about your ability to overcome addictions and overcome some of the biggest trials and tribulations. Before we go into that, what made you think that you were different when you were growing up as a child? 
Wow. Well, uh, you know, I think that that's a mark of uh, addiction. Is almost everyone who is an addict, an alcoholic, or overeater, or whatever their addiction is, they'll say they felt different. They felt like they weren't like the other kids. And um, so there were many reasons I think I felt different. I was uh, growing up on the ninth floor in the midtown Manhattan. Didn't I was an only child. My parents didn't really understand the whole play date concept. And uh, so I was alone a lot, and um, I was wrapped up in my books and my fantasies, you know, my imaginary friends, and so I felt a little apart from, I, even as a child, I loved to talk to adults. I didn't so much enjoy talking to other children. So I, I felt a little different then, and of course, as I got to be a teenager and had a drink, that otherness, that sense of otherness dissolved, and suddenly I felt like, oh, okay, I can relax, this is a great feeling, and, you know, it, it never really quit, came back. I remember that first that first time that I was with friends in a bar, underage, drinking, and I remember I was drinking a Harvey Wallbanger and smoking a Territon cigarette, and Maggie May was playing on the radio, and I felt like I had arrived, and I never quite felt that same high again drinking and what what alcoholics do is it's called chasing the high. You chase that original feeling of euphoria where that first time where you had that drink and you felt relaxed and you felt like, wow, I'm a part of, I'm not different anymore. But unfortunately, it doesn't work forever. And you can chase that high all you want, but eventually, you know, it starts out as fun, it goes to fun with problems, and it ends up just problems. And that's when you hopefully, if you're lucky, hit bottom and get sober, and that's what happened to me. Well, when you're experienced with alcohol, I mean, there are, there are some things that I guess that could be perceived as positive, if you want to talk about that. You, when you were at a nightclub one time, in your book, I Want, you'd grab the woman, you'd, I guess you, you grabbed her by the hand, you'd kissed her. And was, do you feel that in any way, shape, or form, was alcohol a liberator for you in some capacity, even though you battled well, with it? I think that alcoholism is multi-determined, and people drink for a lot of reasons. For one, it's hereditary. My dad was an alcoholic, so I inherited it, possibly genetically, but also environmentally. I saw my father drinking a lot when I was growing up, and I thought that was normal. But another reason that I drank was that I was repressing my uh, sexual orientation, and uh, I'm gay, and it was after I got sober, uh, and I've going to be sober 20 years in April, knock on wood, I'll make it to 20 in April, and um, it was after that I got sober and I didn't have that drink to stuff my feelings with that I I had to come to terms with my sexual orientation, so uh, I think people drink and they use, whether it's drugs, food, alcohol, spending, gambling, sex, they, they do it for a, a, a number of reasons, it's multi-determined, it's not one thing. And uh, ultimately, though, it's an attempt to escape uncomfortable feelings if you had to boil it all down. And one thing we learn in sobriety is to sit through the feelings, that whatever uncomfortable feelings we're having, we have to deal with them, and that running away only makes them bigger. What was your moment that you decided that you couldn't drink anymore? What was your big thing? Well, you know, everybody has their little story and, you know, what it was like and what happened. And uh, mine, I was lucky. I mean, I didn't get a DUI, uh, although I probably should have on occasion, and it's not a laughing matter. I mean, it's, it's horrifying to drive under the influence. Um, but 
Uh, mine was just making a fool of myself at a party, and um, the man, and I was at the time living with a man uh, who I was living with, said, you know, basically, um, if you do this again, I'll leave. And I thought he had left, and a friend of mine had just joined uh, a, a sobriety program and had urged me to get sober. And so I was at that moment where I experienced that incomprehensible demoralization the next morning, waking up and feeling like, Oh, what did I do? Who was that person? Oh, that person was me. And so I called my friend, and uh, he helped me out, and I um, I hit bottom, and I, I haven't had a drink since that day, and that was uh, almost 20 years ago. Wow. And when you have done that, what advice would you give to other people who are tr- struggling with alcohol? And how would you, by the way, and then let me step back a little bit, what would you say would be the number one thing that prevented you from actually stopping well, you know, to tell a, just to tell and lecture an alcoholic, or for that matter, a drug addict, or even a food addict, that you just got to stop. Uh, that's like telling uh, a person who is n- not suffering from that particular addiction, all you have to do is stop breathing. You know, just just cut out the oxygen. Everything else will be fine. It it really doesn't work. The intellect is a very low defense against uh, cravings. Cravings that take over your body. And they direct your mind, and you become a hostage to that substance. And everything is geared toward getting that substance in your system. And, you know, it's a vicious cycle. And the vicious cycle of addiction is craving, binge, remorse, withdrawal, craving, binge, remorse, withdrawal, craving, binge, remorse, withdrawal. I'll never do it again. I'll only do it on weekends. I'll only do it on days that end in Y. You know, all the excuses. And ultimately, you really have to have a moment of clarity where you see yourself objectively and where you start to really understand that this is not in your self-interest. You know, part of the problem with a lot of things in our life is that we assume that people act in their self-interest when, in fact, they don't. We're emotional creatures, and uh, we don't often act in our own self-interest. We often act in ways that can be uh, very self-destructive. And addiction is like the most obvious example of that. And uh, we live in an addict nation. I I wrote a book called Addict Nation, an intervention for America, where I outline that we're doing everything addictogenically because we're in an addictogenic culture where we're told more, 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 more is better, more is better, and more isn't better, more Food isn't better. We have an obesity crisis. More alcohol isn't better. You know, 10% of the population drinks 70% of the booze. More pills aren't better. We've got a lot of people who are drugged out and high on legal prescription drugs. Um, more money isn't even better at a certain point. I mean, you have you know people having huge concentrations of wealth, the infamous 1%. And I've met a couple of them, and they're not necessarily any happier than... Um, people who aren't in the in the 1%. They might even be more miserable because at a certain point, all those possessions and all that money becomes uh, really a burden. So I think that we have to really change our society entirely and, and start looking at things through a different lens and maybe instead of just thinking of our gross national product, how about thinking about our national happiness index? How happy are we? And is all this stuff that we continue to accumulate making us any happier? Or is it making us miserable, weighing us down, and destroying the environment in the process? Maybe it's the, it's the individual, but 
Jane, at one point you talked in your book about how when you stopped drinking, you got this surge of energy, like you get this amazing surge. And what I want to know is this, is do you feel that you really conquered your addiction to alcoholism when you accepted yourself for who you were, that you accepted the, you accepted the true nature of, of your sexuality, the true nature of who you were, and then the alcoholism kind of went away by the wayside? Or was it the rejection of the alcoholism first that allowed you to truly accept and find who you were? Well, first of all, you never conquer alcoholism or drug addiction or food addiction or any of the other addictions. I mean, look at Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was sober for 23 years or something like that, a long time, and then he died of a drug overdose, so it happens all the time. Uh, all we have is today when it comes to sobriety, and so just because you've been sober that's why I said, knock on wood, I'll make it to 20 years. There's no guarantee. I'm sober today, sober tomorrow. You don't get cured. You just have a daily reprieve, and you got to work a program to keep that. So, you know, uh, I don't. So that to answer your question, part one, you don't conquer it. You really have to work on it constantly. And either you're headed toward more sobriety, or you're headed toward uh, a drink. That's what they say, and I agree. Um, and so there's that, and but yet I think that once you do get sober and you start realizing that it's okay, whoever you are, it's okay. I mean, the irony is when I finally came out as gay, nobody really cared. <laughs> oh, it was gossip for my I friends did, for a couple I of weeks, it was maybe even that less than that. You came out live on the radio. I thought that was fantastic. Can you please talk to uh, tell our listeners about what had happened? You were talking when you came out live on the radio unexpectedly to everyone. Yeah, and by the way, uh, you know, if you want to get involved in um, what what we're all about, um, please check out facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell. That's my Facebook page, and uh, I talk a lot about um, all these issues on my page, and we're growing rapidly. We're um, over well over 180,000 uh, fans, and I'd love you to just go to facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell and um, like my page and get involved. And we help animals and we speak for crime victims and uh, and try to help the environment too. And, and this is all connected to the environment because if you're trying to escape and you're over-consuming to escape, whether it's alcohol, whether it's stuff, you know, how many cars do we need, how many houses do we need, that kind of thing, um, you're destroying the environment in the process uh, because you know, our carbon footprint in the Western world is like 40 times what the carbon footprint of somebody, for example, in India is. So uh, we have to think about the consequences of our choices and, um, you know, our decision, for example, on a weekend to go shopping. There's, there should be no go shopping. You should go shopping when you need to buy something, not just as a pastime or an addiction. Do you think there but really it, are, are sorry I'm sorry do you think there really are collectivist solutions to the problems that we they're currently facing in the on the individual basis I mean these are seem to be all symptoms of what's happening in the world with what the culture that we have I mean do you think Yes yes I think we all need to wake up to what we're doing I mean look we could all lose all of our stuff or we could all make modest changes in how we live um, Now, I'll give you one example uh, I I just stopped using uh, paper towels uh, about three and a half years ago. I moved into a new place and I said, you know what? Once I step foot in this place, I'm not going to use paper towels anymore. There's really no need. And I started, it was because somebody explained to me paper towels are like trees. 
you think about the destruction of the rainforest, it's a big subject. Oh, how can we stop it? How can we stop climate change? But you don't think about paper towels, okay? Paper towels are unnecessary. People live for uh, thousands and thousands of years without paper towels. They used rags, and then they washed those rags. And we even have washing machines today. So you save about $1,300 a year by not using paper towels, and you don't cut down a lot of trees. And so that one decision, think about saving a little forest with that one decision. Now, 300 million people in this country and growing fast all stopped using paper towels. We'd have, uh, well, a lot more than 300 million more trees because we all use more than one tree worth of paper towel during the course of a year. So then think about diapers. Think about parents with diapers. And I was talking to a woman who's a mother and says she feels guilty about using these plastic diapers, these disposable diapers. She says, you know, the irony is I'd like to preserve this world for my child so that she grows up and there's wild animals and there's nature, but I'm the one destroying it with the disposable diapers. I said, well, why don't you use the uh, cloth diapers the way they have for centuries? She says, oh, it's disgusting. I said, so it's not disgusting to destroy the environment by disposing of all these disposable diapers with their poop on them, but it is disgusting to clean a um, cloth diaper that can be used over and over again. She goes, I know, it's not rational. I said, yeah, it's laziness. So, you know, we, we have to, we're all lazy. I don't want to point the finger at somebody else. I make decisions that are not environmentally correct. I try to be environmental, but it's very hard in this culture. Our culture is designed to destroy the environment. And now we're going to start seeing the consequences with extreme weather, which we're already seeing, with hurricanes that we didn't used to have. Um, you know, and if, if, if you're upset about this, get involved. Again, go to my page, uh, Jane Velez Mitchell, uh, facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell. Get involved. We need, we need numbers so that when we say call this person or call that person, we can do it in sizable numbers. And, um, Ryan, you know that, that I'm starting a campaign that says I am the media. Yeah, you're talking a lot words. about animals, and you're, doing really, you're really passionate about the animal rights. I actually wanted to come into it and ask you, why did you become so, so passionate about animal rights, and what is it your mission to, to do this? Well, uh, people ask me, oh, well, you care about animals. Don't you care about people? Why don't you care about people? Well, I, uh, this is what I say to them. I say, first of all, it's not a competition. You can care about football and people, and you can care about animals and people. You can care about a lot of things. They're not mutually exclusive. Secondly, actually, when you care about animals, you help people. For example, we raise $9 billion, with a B, farm animals in this country, and institutionalized cruelty called factory farming, uh, where pigs can never turn around their entire lives, and they become psychotic, and um, little chicks are de-beaked and uh, tails are cut off without anesthesia and all sorts of horrors. I could go on and on, but you could go watch Farm to Fridge and, and find out about that. Yeah. And uh, we raise 9 billion farm animals and we feed them a whole lot of soybean and grain and we use a whole lot of water. If we took all the grain and the soybean that we feed farm animals that we basically artificially inseminate and produce, they're not they're not being born because they're making love. If we took all that grain and soybean and fed it directly to people, we could end hung world hunger today. So as you and I have been talking, Ryan, I don't know how many children around the world have died, but quite a few of hunger and malnutrition because they just do not have food. 
but yet we are eating the most. I'm not, and I know you aren't. And we're. I'm a vegan, and I know you are. But we are, as a culture, taking so much resource and keeping it for ourselves and using it inefficiently, like to produce a hamburger or a piece of steak, when if we took all that concentrated grain and soy and fed it directly to people, we could end world hunger. So when people say to me, hey, you care about animals, well, why don't you care about people? I say, I do care about people. I'd like to end starvation around the world. I'd like to end malnutrition. I'd like to stop climate change. I'd like to start stop the destruction of the rainforest for grazing land for capital for well, cattle. What would you say would be the, in your opinion, the the top three biggest threats to humanity at this point? I would say factory farming. Uh, we simply cannot uh, continue to eat and live this way. It's not sustainable. We're going to have 9 billion people on our planet by 2050, and all of us cannot be using all these resources. <clears throat> and unfortunately, we're exporting our Western bad habits to the rest of the world. So I would say that factory farming is the biggest threat to humanity, and it's also one of the biggest causes of climate change. So that's another reason why it's a huge threat to humanity. Okay. And I'd say overpopulation. Do you know that Excuse me. More people have been born since 1950, approximately, than existed in the entire history of humankind up until 1950. We have to curb overpopulation. We have to um, really start thinking about how many human beings this planet can sustain. And we could sustain a lot more if we all switched to a plant-based diet, because What's the key to survival in this world aside from oxygen, food, and water? And the amount of food and water it takes to produce meat is just not sustainable. Well, We're, there are many companies like Beyond Meat and Just Mayo that are cropping up, that are uh, basically mimicking meat to the point where people can't even tell the difference on taste tests, whether it's real meat, you know, real meat that involved raising an animal and killing it, or whether it's a product that's plant-based that tastes exactly the same. I, I was I, watching the Today Show the other day, and they did a test. And the, the, the host of the Today Show picked the wrong thing. They said, well, this one's chicken, and this one's beyond meat, and it's actually the opposite. I guess they can't lot. tell the difference. I know. It's, it's amazing how the technology is coming. I just want to ask you some, a question about you. you I, one part of your book I want talked about when your father would take you, and you'd miss class, and he said he wasn't concerned about the classwork you were missing because – You'd be traveling. You'd be learning so much more. As a journalist, what has made you feel stand out or be different than among your other peers in terms of the questions that you ask, in terms of the stories that you pursued, and why have you pursued these stories over the course of your career? Well, truth be told, um, the vast majority of stories that I did were assigned to me that I, you know, in general, over the course of my career of 37 years, that I did not choose myself. But I had the opportunity to focus on animal stories, which I did, and um, I'm proud to say that uh, I've won four Genesis Awards from the Humane Society of the United States for my animal reporting at various uh, outlets, and so um, that has been a blessing, to have the opportunity to do uh, reporting on animals, and I've just explained why that's so important. It really is the social justice movement of the 21st century. I mean, uh, thank God we have broached other issues. We've uh, we fought a civil war to end slavery. We've given women the right to vote. Uh, we've uh, 
now headed toward uh, equality for the lesbian and gay community. Uh, we are um, doing a lot in terms of giving uh, people uh, the right to be who they are and live with dignity. And now the next step is to give other sentient beings the right to be who they are and live with dignity and not be treated as mere products. Okay, so you basically have had in your heart most of your life this, this kind of moral clause to do what you feel is right and to bring to light those attention to those stories. And Is there any particular story that really made you stand out over the years that you covered that had a substantial impact on the way you think and the way you, you know, live your life? Well, I, I've covered so many stories. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of stories. And I think it's more of themes that have occurred to me. I've learned a lot about human nature by seeing the worst of it. I've covered some of the most horrific crimes imaginable where you, you shake your head and say, no, it's not possible that a human being could do something like this, and yet it is. And so I think what I've learned is that um, in most criminals consider themselves victims, and that's why they feel entitled to do the horrible things that they do, because in their twisted brain, they say, I'm the victim. And often they have a me-against-the-world attitude. It's everybody else's fault. There's blue meanies out to get me. You know, so they're basically filled with self-pity. They're filled with resentment. And they're filled with a sense of entitlement that they've been wronged, and therefore they have a right to go out there and wrong somebody else. And that's a very dangerous mental state. Uh, one thing I've learned is, if you see anybody walking around with that kind of chip on their shoulder, run in the other direction. Because most things that happen in life, we're participants, we're not victims. And that's the essence of the sobriety program, is that you have to find your part in it. And when you stop being a victim and become a participant, then, you know, you can, you can just be rational about, about whatever problem you have and try to solve it. But when you're deep into playing the victim and having pity parties, instead of solving it, all you do is nurse grudges and you get angrier and angrier, and then you become a dangerous person, a person who could lash out and try to hurt somebody and exact revenge. I mean, this is pretty basic stuff, but it's pretty amazing how we don't see everything that's going wrong with the world from this perspective. I don't care whether you want to talk about a war or you want to talk about a crime. It all boils down to the psychology of people who think they've been wronged, who feel like victims, and feel they're entitled to revenge. And, um, and then it's a cycle. Then they hurt somebody, and then that person feels victimized and feels angry and feels like unfairly targeted, and then they plot their revenge. And back and forth it goes, back and forth, back and forth often escalating. And so what we have to do is really unengage. We have to, you know, disengage ourselves from this horrific and primitive cycle of uh, retribution, violence retribution. We have to get a little bit smarter and more evolved and more um, sophisticated and, and more compassionate. Do you think that collect? Oh, sorry. Yeah, and that's pretty much... That's pretty much the name of the game if we want to evolve as a species and not destroy ourselves. Well, do you think that collective humanity, uh, at least especially in America, 
has got less critical thinking skills than they did at least 25 years ago? Do you feel that the populace is less educated or less adapted at being able to think for themselves than they are at this point in time? I don't know. I mean, everybody always, you know, that's, that, that's, <clears throat> I think that's sort of, no offense to you, Ryan, because you're a great guy, but I think that's sort of like uh, old person thought. Okay. When you think that, oh, you know, the good old days when everybody read the newspapers, people are probably reading more words today than they ever have because of the Internet. It's just a question of, I'm making myself a cup of tea while we're talking because I've got a little bit of a cough, <clears throat> a frog in my throat, not an actual frog. <laughs> um, anyway, um I think that there's sort of this nostalgic uh, attitude of, you know, oh, the good old days when everybody was well-informed. And you know what? A lot of people were illiterate in the good old days and didn't read anything. And, uh, you know, one thing I realize is when you go to a museum and you say, oh, the furniture was so much better back in the old days, well, they only kept the good furniture. 99.999% of all the other furniture got thrown out. So, of course, the furniture that's an antique looks like it's designed with more care than the furniture we see today because – we haven't thrown out the bad furniture yet. So I do feel that uh, this idea that people used to be more educated is, is pretty nonsensical. I mean, I think kids today are far more sophisticated with their exposure to all this information that they get through the Internet uh, uh, than kids, even in my era, when I grew up, where I had basically TV and books. That was, that was it. Maybe the radio. I don't know. We really didn't listen to the radio except in the car, but uh, right now there's there's an infinite amount of information available on the Internet to anybody who has a laptop or, or, or even an iPad. Uh, Jane, I just have two more questions for you. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, two questions I have are, one, is what would you say would be your top three or four lessons that you've learned in this life, your three or four biggest life lessons? Uh, well, my biggest life lesson I would have to say is just to be – true to myself and be who I am and you know when I was starting out in the business I thought well I should be like this one or that one or have that kind of voice and you know, it's taken me a long time to realize it's okay to be who you are and the other thing is you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea you know some people love me some people hate me some people just don't think about me at all I don't have to be everybody's cup of tea and that's very liberating. Uh, you know, if young people are listening and they say they, they don't think of all the people at school who might like them or have no opinion about them, but they'll focus on the two people in the whole school who may not like them. And I still do that. You know, uh, but I have to remind myself, I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. There's always going to be a couple of people who just don't get my act or don't buy it at all. So that's okay. Um, and the final thing that I think is perhaps the most important thing to learn and to live by is to be kind and to be compassionate. And I, I mess up all the time. I mean, I'm a little rough around the edges. Uh, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and a rageaholic, bless his soul. He was also a good person. But I got that a little bit implanted into me. I can be yelling without even knowing it. You know, my girlfriend would say, hey, you know, use your indoor voice and I'll I don't even know what she's talking about, but I'm talking very loud, and some people might think I'm yelling. But um, in general, despite those character defects, I try to be kind, and that's primarily the reason I don't eat animals. Yes, it's great for my health. Yes, my mother's 98 and doing very well as a vegetarian, sharp, uh, and, and uh, really all there. 
and I do credit her diet. But, but I think that the greatest thing I get out of being a vegan and not eating animals and not worrying them and not using products that are tested on animals is that no matter what stupid thing I've done throughout the course of the day, when I put my head on my pillow at night, I know I didn't kill today. And that's a really great feeling, and it transforms your life. And I would urge anyone listening who is feeling, well, I'm a little lost or I don't know, I'm just not living up to my potential, try it because it really, you know, it catapults you into another dimension of life. When you can go through life without killing in any way, shape, or form, uh, as Gandhi said, you know, we all have to go through life, but let's try to create as little damage as possible. And it's fun. It's actually a fun game. You feel better, you feel lighter, you feel happier. And um, and it's good for your conscience. It's good for the soul. All right. This is Jane Velez Mitchell. That was a fantastic interview. Thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you again, please? Okay. Facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell. That's J-A-N-E-V-E-L-E-Z-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L. And also my new site, JaneUnchained.com. Thank you, Jane, so much. Really, really appreciate it. Great interview. Thank you, Ryan. I love you, too. Love you, too. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. To learn more about Miss O'Connor, please go to her website at carrieoconnor.net. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Miss Jane Velez Mitchell? Jane is a very interesting energy. She has a lot of Joan of Arc energy around her, and as soon as I saw her and looked behind her, she has a great big sword, Ryan, that is right aligned. Just imagine with her spine, and it goes up right behind her. And so she comes in here with justice in that, like Joan of Arc, she's not afraid to um, face anything. And I really admire her. She has faced addiction, as she shared, and she is not afraid to... um, Go up to anybody. That sword is, is her soul. It's a signature of her soul. So she's got a lot of power in um, packed in that um, energy field of hers. Okay. And do you pick up anything about her previous life incarnations? I saw one that was very much connected with the Joan of Arc. I'm not saying she was Joan of Arc, but I definitely see her carrying on Joan of Arc's um, what she started, and she definitely was a lineage of that. And I also saw it was really kind of interesting. Her as a detective in England, and I I thought I was going to say, oh my God, she's like a Sherlock Holmes character, but she I saw her as a detective, which really doesn't surprise me. And that wasn't too far back in her incarnational experience that she was an investigator, and she wasn't afraid to get into murder and suicide, or murder uh, the big um, cases, and she. She's doing that a lot and when she was um, facing the Michael Jackson trial and all that. So she really is not afraid to hear a lot of those details. A lot of times that could really overwhelm you and will overwhelm your emotional body. But she just goes with that sort of justice. So it could just she could cut through the emotional part and just stick to the facts and keep her um, energy consolidated, which is really hard at times. If, is there any life lessons that you feel that she or sense that she's here to learn for this life incarnation as Jane Velez Mitchell? She's here to learn. I just saw a volume over her heart. So it's like open up her heart and being able to really let her defenses down because there's a, there is a strong shield. When somebody comes in there as a voice, you have to also have a shield because you could get hooked into a lot of people's dramas and traumas. So it's like, when do I use this voice? When do I not use this voice and not feel invulnerable, right? Because that sword also could be where somebody really has a strong defense. It's like almost like somebody wears, that wears a knight energetically, like a knight suit. And they are, they're here to learn down, know when to... It's, it's okay to be vulnerable and show your vulnerable side. It's it's good for her to do that in small groups, but she's not going to do that in big crowds. But that's really – it's a good protection for her. And in terms of her protective spirit guides, are there any relatives or 
angelic guides that tend to surround her or guide her? I see a paternal grandmother that it, actually it's a great grandmother because I'm seeing Ireland and connection to Ireland roots. That's really strong. I know that she didn't meet her, but she's a guiding spirit and she teaches her the way of the salty earth. Like the, imagine a mother that was a salt of the earth, had to raise kids on their own and just strong feminine energy. And she comes in and guiding her very, very strong. Also, as far as a power animal, I see a really, really big tiger with her. So she's got that feminine spirit tiger energy where she's not afraid to attack if she has to. So she's got a really strong um, power animal and that grandmother, a paternal grandmother's on her side. Shadifa, with all the animals that she does resonate with the, ti the tiger the most, is that something? You know, I just remembered that she's a real big animal advocate. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah, because she just, I, I just, that just popped in my head. She's got that tiger is up in a, a, a pounce state. And so not that she's ready to attack. She's just not afraid to attack, which you have to admire, especially, you know, she made it in a male's, male's field. She really is an advocate and a voice for a lot of different, you know, I mean, she came out as far as um, being gay with her addictions, and she's not afraid to share her own story. And that is opening your heart and showing some vulnerability. So she uh, has a lot of protection with, just think of the big animals. The big cats are great protectors. And they're also showing her, her intuitive side. She's extremely intuitive. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's very clear cognitive, clear knowing, clear knowing, and she trusts her gut. And lastly, do you, is there anything you would recommend for her in order to increase um, the success of her life or to maximize her ability to enjoy her life to the fullest? Is there anything she could be working on to, I guess, attract more abundance of love, abundance of prosperity? Yeah. You know, it's really weird. I just saw her break dancing and really putting her arms out and doing that wave movement. And I said, that's wild. <laughs> so I would recommend her to really get connected to that inner child and really have that sense. Because when somebody has that strong, I don't see the sword in people's energy field a lot behind them. So they're driven, Ryan. They're like really driven to have to be the voice, have to speak up, be the justice to really turn their um, the throat chakra on high volume. And part of her thing is when to turn it down in that and, and just be the kid and have fun. And I would encourage her to write a book that has to do with a lot more playful, fun things than a lot of the serious stuff that she had to. Miss Carrie O'Connor, that was a fantastic analysis. Thank you so much. And to, You're welcome. And to learn more about Miss O'Connor, please go to her website at kerryoconnor.net. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure. Joining us now is the angel reader, Miss Laura Lynn. But with respect to psychic medium, you can learn more about her by going to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Lynn, what can you tell us about the life of Miss Jane Velez Mitchell? Well, I really enjoyed her her interview. I was so happy. You know, sometimes you see, you know, I watch these broadcasts and you see the talking heads and you're just wondering what kind of uh, connection do they really have with humanism, you know, with the human the aspect. And she, you know, really delivered during this, this interview. I, I, I liked her from the start. She's a lady I would like to sit across the table and have coffee and really discuss some deep, deep impact issues of our world. She gets it. And I do see her as an indigo. I see her as somebody that is here to, to make a, a broad direction for how women can go, particularly women can go to really make some impact in this world. I love the fact that she's so connected to the animal spirit. And that's where I want to go here with you as far as re in regard to where I see her past life. Uh, be, she 
she was really at the at the trailblazer with animal impact in the 1800s and in the 1900s. I'm seeing two lives where she was an activist, if you will, for animal rights. And this is before there was any such thing, of course. But she did a lot of work to uh, make sure that in her, at least in her own area, in her her corner of the world, that animals were going to be more protected and cared for. And one way she did this is she owned a farm where the her this was over in Scotland, from what I captured, where the animals were treated so nice and and very very well protected, very cared for. And it feels like she had a shamanism type presence about her on how she uh, worked with these animals. Like there was a, a, a very inlined connection. And the life before that in the 1800s, I'm seeing that she also worked with animals, but in a little bit different way. It was more of, and I know this may sound a little bit, well, it's not going to sound silly to you at all, uh, or I hope to the listeners, but she would communicate with the animals, almost like what we hear, you know, the dog whisperer. Um, she would be communicating and protecting, and I feel like she may have had some Native American presence in her during that lifetime. Hey, I'm curious to know that when we talked about the other people's past lives, it seems that they tend to wait you know, maybe a couple of centuries before jumping back in. But with uh, Miss Phyllis Mitchell here, it seems that she's jumping into a new life every single century. Is there a reason why she's reincarnating so quickly? I feel like she's just very quick. Her spirit, her spirit is very aligned. It's very high energy. And I do believe the indigos seem to do that. They, they jump in much quicker. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to, you know, they want to experience life and they also want to share they have a impact that they want to bring to the earth, and, and it's, a, it's a drive. Okay. So, yes. So what's, I mean, for the listeners out there that don't know, Laura, uh, can you please define what an indigo is? Sure. The indigo is, is people on this earth that are very artistic, creative individuals. They see the world in a little bit different. They see it, They see the big picture, and they're able to organize in a way that, they can manifest what they're really searching for, or what they're, what they desire in a very quick way. And, you know, there's a lot of theories about the indigo, but the indigos do seem to have some of the issues that she was born into, such as addictions, um, sometimes hyperactivity or other uh, central nervous, uh, what we would call disorders. But um, I think it's the way that the, 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 the nervous system uh, reacts to the sensory. It's like an overreaction somewhat. So there is some some issues that, that underlines it with typically with the indigos, but on a high level, these people are here to make huge impact. They're here to make big change in our world and to be a, a basically like a, a shining light to show a way. Okay, and if you connect with her, with Ms. Les Mitchell's higher self, and if you can gauge what her higher self's greater soul purpose was to come into this life incarnation for, would you say that she's made a lot of progress on her greater evolutionary goal? And is there anything that she could be doing 
that would enhance or increase her ability to complete her evolutionary purpose of this lifetime? Well, I feel that part of her goal was about the animals, which she talked about, and you talked, you know, you brought forward early in the interview. I feel like she's going to align with some very strong um, organizations that will further her her goal for this lifetime. But one one goal I don't even think she's realizing that she has hit so hard and done such beautiful work with is the um, giving women uh, an opportunity, being so authentic that women are aligning with her truth and really stepping out. She's a trailblazer. And I hope she understands the impact that she's giving given on this earth for that reason. And I, I really feel like she's just excessively dynamic and has um, really already mastered what the goals was for this for this lifetime. Okay, so would you say the, re, uh, the remainder of her life, is it to be a, a role of a teacher or somebody to be a living example of a life fulfilled? Yeah, absolutely, to be an example, to be a teacher, um, to show a, show a way. And I, she's, she's so intelligent, and she shares her information in such a way that we can understand it uh, pragmatically. She, uh, just a ma- she's a master communicator, too. Fantastic. Ms. Laura Lynn, that was a great interview, great analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Ms. Lynn. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is the astrophenom, Ms. Constance Stellis. To learn more about Ms. Stellis, please go to her website at constancestellis.com. Ms. Stellis, what can you tell us about Ms. Jane Velez Mitchell? Well, she has a lovely chart. That's the first thing I would like to say. Uh, by lovely, I mean that um, there aren't major conflicts in the way all of her planets um, move and come together. Uh, trouble-free life doesn't exactly exist, but she has a great deal of grace. She is a Libra um, and has four positions in Libra, the Sun, Venus, Neptune and Mercury Uh, and her moon sign is the water sign very watery sign of Pisces Um, and her rising sign is Sagittarius but we'll talk about that later so Libra is the sign of balance now many people think oh Libras are balanced well in fact uh, Libras being one myself we go from extreme to extreme sometimes to find the balance But finding the balance is a life quest. And I would say that um, uh, Jane Velez has has made a lot of strides in that quest to just kind of keep in center ground, so to speak. Um, Also, of all the signs of the zodiac, Libra is the only one that has an inanimate object, the scales, as its symbol. And it doesn't mean that Libras are things, but it does mean that in thinking about those scales and the attempt to balance everything in your own life and in the life the lives of people around you, that the the um, it almost is like a divine perspective. I'm not saying all Libras are, are angels, but the ability to see two sides of a situation is um, an innate gift. Now, sometimes it drives us a little nuts because we can't take a decision. 
and she has a dose of that. But on top of her Libra um, um, positions, the moon in Pisces is an elevated sense of love in the highest sense. It's love and compassion for uh, all people, all critters, um, for for the, the world. So it's it's a very um, benign and generous uh, emotional makeup that she has. Uh, and so that combination is why I said a lovely chart. Her um, rising sign is Sagittarius, and that is fire and adventuresome and eager to strut out and see the world and usually uh, represents the, the world um, with good humor, um, definitely. Um, two major relationships are indicated in the life, so I don't know where she is on that, <laughs> that uh, framework, if she's had two, um, good for her. Um, currently, well, uh, she also has a great deal of emphasis on um, the ninth house, which is higher wisdom and also international um, connections and uh, travel. So I would say that coming up for her are some lovely trips, maybe connected with work, maybe not. And if they're not planned, it would be a good thing to plan um, in the next uh, couple of um, months. The next birthday that Jane has is a, is a significant one. I won't say it on the air. Um, it's the um, beginning of wisdom. And this wisdom for her, I think, will uh, be very positive in terms of pursuing things that maybe she didn't have time to do before and becoming a spokeswoman for um, either causes or people or situations that she uh, very much believes in. Um, the notion of, let's say, spiritual development is front and center in her life. The Pisces moon will be um, connected to Neptune in um, um, three or four months, I believe, four months. And this is a sensitizing position that makes um, visions and dreams and um, feelings much more present than perhaps they've been uh, in other times in her life. It also, I mean, if she had come to me or if she were coming to me, I would say be very careful about what you eat and drink uh, because your sensitivity to toxins, um, I mean regular toxins, uh, is, is very keen, so you want to kind of take care of your of your health. Um, and in a year, we have a combination of the good news, Jupiter expanding in the house of career, which could lead to another uh, media opportunity. And I, I set it up like good news, bad news. It's not that this is bad news, but Saturn will be uh, crossing your ascendant in uh, about seven months, and that usually brings increased responsibilities. Um, it's a long transit. It's not like one day you wake up and you say, oh, I have Saturn in my ascendant. That's not good. Uh, but it does kind of focus things in a very responsible way. Do you feel that she fulfilled her purpose of doing that show, that she got or helped as many people as she possibly could with that show, and that what, what is her next venture, and how do you think that will enhance or enrich the lives of others? 
Um, I, I think that that uh, the, the 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 artistic streak in her chart is very strong. And um, the helpfulness of the show was a good thing, but I think she's going to be more focused in on uh, her own self-expression and, as I said, becoming a spokesperson for, maybe not formally, but someone involved with communicating um, uh, the things she believes in. Okay. And I, I don't know that it will be another television or, I mean, it could be radio. I'm not sure it will be uh, a media situation. Ms. Constantellis, that was a phenomenal analysis coming from the Astrophenom, of course. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And to learn more about myself, just go to our website at Constantellis.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Okay. You're welcome. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Ms. Lisa Kaza. You learn more about Ms. Kaza by going to her website at lisacaza.com. Ms. Kaza, what can you tell us about Jane Velez Mitchell? I was extremely riveted to each and every single word that Jane said. And that doesn't happen often with me. I guess I have ADD when it comes to certain things. But with Jane, Every single word I hung on to. She just, uh, the magnetism that this woman has is just phenomenal. So she's got an extremely strong personality and spirit. One that I truly admire and respect greatly. And the reason why I put emphasis on the respect part is because, well, let's take a little journey. I was shown present day, just the general aging population. And like even you and I, Ryan, to this day, like we can compare things from, you know, now as to when we were children were, for example, you know, for me up here in Canada, of course, everybody knows we get all the snow and everything. Well, just the other day I was saying to all my kids, I'm going, you know, the snow, even though it's still bad right now, it's still nothing compared to what I saw when I was a kid, the, the amount of snow. Uh, different changes, iPods, iPhones, all this different new technology that we never had as children. Uh, changes I remember that my grandmother would, would, would notice when I was a kid. What is this thing you call here, this music box? It's a ghetto blaster, Nana. Oh, okay, well, that's really strange. We always had the record players. <laughs> so all these little changes and some of them can be so profound if you really think about them and it really makes us either sad or happy or or just in awe the reason why i said that is because i wanted to illustrate just barely the bare minimum of what jane's spirit has endured her spirit has been on this earth time and time and time and time again and it, it, it's not just it's not necessarily one lifetime that's really stuck out for me but much rather all of them combined and as as she's gone through each of those lifetimes not only has she amassed the wisdom and the knowledge which why by the way like she she is a wise one she's um for example talked to adults more as a child well that's a classic example of definitely being wise beyond her years and and this is why but the changes that she has seen 
from one lifetime to the next has had such a huge impact on her spirit and her heart. And this is what fuels her passion. Notice how she speaks with such passion about these issues, whether it's animal rights, victims' rights, um, even, you know, AA and things like that. She's so passionate about these changes and wants to make changes. And this is why she's been dramatically impacted by what she's seen, the changes over the years. Can you imagine being in, let's say, for example, in 1925 or 1825 even, let's go back even further, and then all of a sudden you get time warped to the here and now, 2014, oh my God, the shock and the devastation that you'd, you'd experience. This is what Jane's spirit is feeling, and that's why she's so passionate about what she says and what she does. Do you feel that she was, but she, she's in a time warp, spiritually? No, 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 I was just giving an example to try to illustrate to the listeners the impact, the profoundness of what her spirit's been feeling as a result of the changes that she's seen lifetime after lifetime. Do you, do you feel that if you examine Jane's spirit and you look at the core of her being, does she feel more of a part of this world? That, does she feel kind of disconnected with this world on a soul level, that she, she is an outside thinker? No, no. She Well, she's an outside thinker, but in terms of trying to create the awareness and actually also exposing hidden agendas and, and things like that. Outside thinker in that respect, yes. But for the most part, no, she, her spirit is literally connected, one, I'd say 100%, with the earth itself. She's an earth spirit, an earth being. That's why she, I bet you anything, she has, for example, uh, a natural magnetism to animals. I bet you animals of any walks of life, it doesn't matter what it is, the animals will trust her and love her and be attracted to her. Same as children. Um, she probably also has a green thumb, you know. It, it, she's all about the earth. So, no, she, she's connected to the earth 100%. She's not disconnected in any way. If anything, we're the ones disconnected. When I say disconnected, I mean in terms of the collective consciousness of humanity at this point. You think about, you know, there's a certain, if you were to say that there are people who are very spiritual, intuitive, and there's some people maybe who are not into it or, or choose not to accept it or embrace it. What of those categories do you feel that Jane would fall into if you were to give her, you know, which one does she lean more towards, do you feel? She's, she's towards, uh, most obviously she's the one that is in fact more spiritual and does embrace it. If it wasn't for her, her spirituality and her heart and her spirit itself, uh, to be quite honest with you, for example, I don't think that she would have had the huge success that she's had um, in combating her alcoholism. Because you see, like that's something that I was reflecting over a while ago. Um, a lot of people, like, you know, some people, they, they find their, their true purpose or their, their, their life purpose, and some don't. And the thing is that what makes us or breaks us is that sometimes, for some people, it takes drastic measures or situations before they actually they remember themselves or find themselves and then get, get on the right path for, that's, that's meant for them finally. And the thing is what separates the, the successful from the unsuccessful in a situation such as, well, like I said, like the, the alcoholism, it's that of the spirituality of the person and how they wish to embrace their spirituality and their heart and, and who they really are. 
And is there any past life that you can sense or gauge that she's really spent a considerable amount of time working out or resolving in this life, like any pain or suffering from any previous life in time? Um, I was only shown one, but it's really got nothing to do with her life purpose as a whole. Like I said, uh, for the most part, um, none of her lifetimes really stood out for me. It was more of a succession and, and, and like trying to show me how her spirit has been impacted by the changes that she's seen throughout each lifetime, which by the way is numerous, but I was shown one particular lifetime and this is, uh, a lifetime that um, really more so pertains to her journalism. And so it's kind of let, opened up the pathway for her in order to pursue the life, her life purpose, which is what she's doing now. Okay. But in this past life, um, I feel that her mother was tried and accused wrongfully for some sort of, of crime. Um, I don't know what that crime was, but uh, she was a young girl, uh, 12, 13 years old, and she was hugely impacted. Uh, like She lost her mother as a result. So I'm going to have to say this is back in the 1750s to 1780s in, in, in America. Uh, but that's what really fueled her fire when it comes to exposing hidden agendas, um, exposing... Um, things that are going on behind the scenes kind of thing, get the truth be told. That's what ultimately started her on on her path with the journalism and, and the coverage that she's done. But like I said, that was just a door opening for her. Um, she's on her life, path, her, her life purpose now with the animal rights advocacy and the victim's rights and that's, and, and like the environment that is, her purpose now but that lifetime that I just mentioned was the door that opened up or made her remember herself so to speak and gave her the tools to use in order to further herself down her her life purpose path this Lisa Kaza that was a phenomenal analysis on Miss Jane Velez Mitchell thank you so much and to learn more about Miss Kaza please go to our website at Lisa Kaza.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Kaza. Oh, thanks, Ryan. It's always, always fun. Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I want to give a special thanks to Ms. Jane Velez Mitchell for a fantastic interview. Also, I want to thank our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, Ms. Laura Lynn, and Ms. Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, please go to our website, at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you infinite peace and love. Have an unbelievable rest of the week.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.